Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by dancing Justin Robert Young. That's me. I'm dancing uh, uh, all day and all night. Woo! And uh, kind of wallflower grooving Brian Brushwood. Geez, if I go step out in the floor, they're going to look at me. <laughs> yeah, man. I certainly hope they don't ask me to appear on a reality dance competition show someday. Oh, geez. Uh, uh, Brian, Brian is the, uh, the, the, the Katy Perry to my Migos uh, <laughs> reference. Uh, also, Brian... I didn't realize this until you said it, but this Friday or next Friday, I will be dancing for for charity on a a Twitch stream. Hashtag Twitch Unity, I think. They're doing a Let's Dance Marathon on the page of Twitch, so I'm going to... Head on oh, so, over to so you, you're playing a video game, though, then. That's uh, all right. All right. That's all right. Still legit. Still legit. You, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. It doesn't measure up, right? No, 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 no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, uh, like, no, it's fine. Big shot doing a show. No, it's a no, no. Show. It's fine. <laughs> I get it. All right. You know, nowhere near. Well, because uh, I immediately thought, like, man, what dances would I know? Is it a contest to see how long you could go? And then you said, like, dance. I'm like, oh, those games are fun. You're gonna have a really good time. Uh, the you you learn names for dances and stuff. Uh, no, I think it's gonna be great. I think it's gonna be super fun. Um, gentlemen, you know what also is fun? And by fun, I mean possibly terrifying, and this could be the end of civilization as we know it, the proof that lasts that we're, we are not alone, and that not only that, that uh, um, you know, they're much more powerful than us and they could wipe us out at any moment. Can, can we talk about your definition of fun? Because <laughs> yeah. that's not what I learned. Yeah. I'm with Brian on this one. This doesn't seem fun at all. Listen, however I can wake, work, make the segue work is how it works. So <laughs> – uh, We've talked about this before, and that is uh, there is a star informally known as uh, called a tabby star in the actual star. It's KIC846, my credit card number. Um, huh. And what was peculiar about this star was the uh, – uh, was discovered by uh, Tabitha – Voyagian, I believe that's her name. I think, and she's an astronomer at Louisiana State University, and uh, believe she was the first one to discover it. And they, and she wasn't one. This is all called Tabby Star. They just nicknamed it for her, which is cool. And the story behind the star was: remember, it's the one that they call the Alien Megastructure Star. Which, by the way, it, that's, that's catchy. That's catchy. That's it that's, that's going to test well with the Utes. Phenomenon. This star is the one that they looked at, and it starts to fluctuate in very strange ways, in ways in which we've not observed before. And to understand why this stands out is that I don't know if you've ever gone outside at night and looked up, but there are a lot of stars. And mm. this is a fact. Hey, by the way, this is the exclusive insights you're only going to get here on Weird Things, people. We're not afraid to tell the real truth. And also right. a, a lot suspicious of- Suspicious number of stars. I mean, yeah. come on. And, and we've, we've aimed telescopes at a lot of these stars, right? And we're like, hey, interesting. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What we've never seen before is this variable fluctuation like we're seeing from Tabby Star, which astronomers and scientists, you know, doing their crazy thing, trying to come up with explanations have been like, 
huh, what would cause this? And we don't have any ready examples of what we think it's most likely to be. We just have some theories. The most, the most uh, non-crazy theory is that maybe it's a swarm of comets that goes in front of the star periodically and causes this occlusion. But a further out theory, and this was proposed by scientists who said, hey, listen, I'm not saying this is what it is. But if we're going to consider all possibilities and the fact that the universe is a very big place, I don't want to have to be the one only one saying that, you know, alien megastructure is a possibility. And so there was a paper written out there that said, hey, listen, uh, could, you know, that's a thing that we need to think about the possibility. And it was, I think, mostly, I mean, outside of, you know, academia where I'm aware of, it was accepted pretty well. It's like, yeah, no, we, we can't rule out that possibility. And because and, it was a very, you know, it was phrased like, hey. I'm just saying, you know, I'm not saying it's what it is. I'm just saying that we need to think about this. So that's one of the possibilities that was floated around. That's why I got the nickname sort of the alien megastructure star, because if you were building a massive Dyson sphere or ring or something around there, it would have to be stable. It might resemble the process of building. It might look something like what we're seeing right now. So the problem is, is that we haven't had a lot of good observation of the star when it's in its fluctuating period, because by the time it's flux goes through a little fluctuation, then a big fluctuation, then everybody's like, oh, what's going on? They go, look, yeah, it looks sort of normal. Yeah, we know it fluctuated, but we haven't aimed telescopes at it that can pick up, let's say, chemical signatures, because if there's a bunch of comets orbiting, we can look at the spectra and we can see, oh, there's little bits of dips or, you know, variances here, which tells us that it might be, you know, some where the chemical composition is. And so we've been like, well, that's great, but unfortunately, it's never doing it. And we want to look at it. But one of the things that got noticed was that it seems like there's a little, little bit of a dip followed by a big dip. And we just had a little bit of a dip, and people think there might be a big dip that might be the time to aim the telescopes at Tabby Star. And we're going to have more telescopes aimed at it than ever before to see what's going to happen. This is the exciting stuff, is to watch the very human drama of scientists run, running out to social media saying, everybody, turn your telescopes right now. If you have... Uh, you know, if if you have the the bandwidth and the freedom to do so, please get it over there. Get all the data from as much as possible so that we can aggregate it. Um, uh, I think it's interesting because there is there's what are all the vectors that we can learn from here? We can learn from the rate of the dipping, how often it happens, if there's a regularity or a pattern that we can eventually figure out matches certain orbiting bodies uh, or expected you know structures of that. Um, uh, you also have uh, uh, the intensity, the the fact that it's a three. Is it we're at a three percent dip now, or that's the maximum? Is when it hits. That's 3%. where I think they measured it was at three percent. Yeah, <clears throat> and then uh, uh, and then on top of that. Uh, you know, the outside chance, if it is a cloud of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, comets or whatever, then uh, then then the spectrophy, spectrograph, get a spectrogram, spectrography, spectrography, is that what it is? Spectroscopy, I think. Spectroscope, right, that word. Um, uh, I mean, that can be huge, and especially because we talked about there are certain elements that uh, – uh, that when you see them, they give pretty good clues. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's fun to watch everybody, you know, uh, Avengers up to uh, witness something so unusual. So we we could we could get if we look if we aim and we're like, yeah, we're seeing some vapor and stuff. It's just comets, you know. Oh, cool. That's that's neat. It's a cool thing. But if we look at it, we're like, no, we're not seeing that. In fact, we're seeing like a strange carbon and a reflection sort of some sort of index or something there. I don't know. 
I'm not an expert in alien megastructure engineering, so I don't know specifically what would tell us that was the case. But we could end up with another mystery. Yeah. Well, and and oh, okay. So uh, Andrew, obviously, you are not an expert on alien megastructure technology. But let's say you Sadly were not. an expert on alien megastructure technology. What would what would you sound like? Like what 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 would uh, what what would you say to this news? It would be a series of high frequency clicks and squeals. Ha! <laughs> Speaking of which, man, uh, did you uh, did you see that uh, sea lion pull that little girl into the water? Yeah, it was, you know, it was a playful. Let's hang out. <laughs> it was terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so. I'm saying is this, is that we're, we're in a period of time where we're trying to figure out what this is, and there might be some interesting things that we might notice there. There could be things that might suggest there's some sort of material manufacturing or whatever. I don't know what that would be. I just know that we get the data, but let's hypothesize for a moment. Let's say we aim the telescopes there. We don't see water, evidence of it. We think it's comets. We see something that looks like it's, you know, some incidents that looks like it's a structure that's giving off a certain amount of thermal energy that's absorbed from a star. I have no idea. But just say we say something that says like, wow, this is consistent with an alien megastructure. And last we checked, we're not in a Peter of Hamilton novel. So well, and and okay, so so in this scenario, uh, I would imagine that we let's let's say over ten years they have enough telescopes with enough data with enough uh, spectroscopy spectroscopy there it is i said it data uh, just data enough data spectro spectroscopic data that um uh that that basically like yeah it's got to be a a uh, a creature made something or other but here's the thing anybody smart enough to know how to start building a dyson sphere let's say it's a dyson sphere or or some kind of corrective thing where it's like hey we get these solar flashes we have to protect our planet so we built these giant umbrellas or whatever um the uh the very act of building it means that you're very likely smart enough to realize that unlike anything else we can think of, nothing would more clearly telegraph the position of your, uh, of your civilization than doing something like this. We have – is there any other way outside of – I mean I, I – like I don't know. I guess you could coordinate a series of causing suns to go supernova. That sounds insane. Um I can I can think of nothing else that's a bigger beacon to say, hey, all other civilizations, this is us, this is us here. Which maybe maybe that's even the purpose of it. Maybe they they're building a beacon or something. There are much cheaper, easier ways to do it than that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like you're you you do line of sight laser projection, scan all the different stars in the sky, and you could you could you do that just, with today's buy technology. Buy a billboard, you know, well, just okay, on the but, side but of the road. Again, again I'm not saying I'm not saying it's an efficient way. I'm saying it's the loudest way I can think of because none of the things you said think, would reach out to lesser advanced civilizations. I, well, I don't I don't think it's. I, I would I don't think that I mean I don't think it's a, I don't think it's inefficient or the loudest way to do it for the amount of energy it would take to do it. It's it's. Hey, you know, like, hey, we want to we want to contact people in other planets. Well, let's spell I, out. I, I, lay, I, again, we're going to lay down. On, was I, that? I, I, I think I think you're, you're chasing a thread that I wasn't setting up. Uh, my, my point was anyone who makes it has to know that this is a side effect of it is that you are making an extraordinarily loud beacon. Uh, well, I thought you just said that it was the purpose. My mistake. Um, if, 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 if the if the if the effort was, yeah, if you wanted to tell, tell people, hey, we're here or whatever, there are more effective, easier, efficient ways to do that. Absolutely. Right, we can do conventional technologies. But if you as a side effect. Yeah, sure. 
do they care or do they know? That's, I mean, that's, that's my thing too, that's is, my point. Is is that I would think twice. Let's say, hey, we'll get lots of energy this way, but everyone, everyone on in the galaxy will know we are an intelligent civilization based right here. And what does it say? Like to me, those are two different questions. One, do we want the energy? Sure. Do we want it knowing that that tactically, strategically, for every, every everything ever, we are announcing to the galaxy, we're pretty much taking out a press release to release to to everyone. I can't talk today. Uh, yeah, but, and 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 go for it. And what does it mean about their civilization if they choose to go forward with that being the case? Well, I think part of it would be who's to say that they don't already believe that the entire galaxy knows of their civilization and and that, you know, like this is just, yeah, we're the bleep blorps. We do bleep blorp things. We built the bleep blorp shield around star deep top. Like everybody knows it. We're in, we're in uh, contact with all of the galaxy. We're the greatest civilization ever known. And it's only us, the galactic equivalent of the Bushmen in the, uh, uh, you know, uh, Brazilian rainforest that are like, Whoa, what the hell's that bright light thing? Like, oh man, look at them. The the deep dorps. They're crazy. <laughs> I I yes and um I I think that too is you I kind of like to sort of step back and say, okay, we 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 all have the habit of and I'm I'm guilty of this of like looking at things from sort of the the Star Trek, you know, every alien's basically us but with a funny nose prosthetic kind of thing and when you start thinking about really alien intelligence where it could look nothing resemble very thing very little like what we have for intelligence other than it's tool building building the concept of other or whatever could be an alien idea to it it could have just so many you know ants build ant mounds because you know they build ant mounds that's what they do and sure. like, well, like that's where they are we need to spray them so, um, so like non-sentient hive-minded space bugs who think only to expand or or you know to grow like bacterial or, cultures or whatever. You know, or us, you know, 600 years ago, fully sentient, but we're kind of thinking like, you know, we're we're kind of like the high point of everything in the universe. And like, well, you know, we, we've gone to other continents. We found people who look like us. Well, they're not really us. Let's be real, you know, and that there's a lot of a lot of things in between. But also it's like, yeah, we're going to build it. And other people know. And if 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 they if they had the technology to harm us, they would know we're here already. You know, your the amount of radio signals and things like that we we give off. That the fact that we're building the skyscraper. You know, if you couldn't figure out we were here by now, you're not a threat to us. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That seems like a pretty big logical fallacy for a civilization advanced enough to build and a Dyson sphere to overlook. Wait, what's the fallacy? Uh, that you haven't found us so far, therefore you're not a threat. Uh, I, I, well, that, I would say if they're capable of building Dyson spheres and it took a Dyson sphere for us to realize they were there, I would. I don't think that's a fallacy. I okay, think so that, what about – okay, this is interesting. So you're right. So if they're first, if they look around and there are no uh, Dyson spheres that they can detect, then they then then all that makes sense. But what about the second – like let's say we're watching – and we watch this thing slowly become totally Dyson sphered. It takes 100, 200 years, but but we've documented enough of it that that from the rhythm of the pulsations of the of the dimming and all that, we can actually detect the shape of the sphere. It inspires our scientists to figure out like, oh, I bet it's this kind of structure and all this stuff. And now we have to make the decision as a human society whether or not we want to engage in the 200-year process of attempting to build or 500-year, however long. Um, like, does, does it change anything to be the second person in the game theory of it 
Well, yeah, we'd want to analyze sort of the reasons why they're building the Dyson Sphere. And and I'm trying to remember or to look up right now to figure out uh, what kind of star they're dealing with. Because, like, if, if you're using with, like, just like a little white dwarf, then, yeah, you know, you kind of want to build one of those things because you're not getting a lot of heat. You know, and we're – our problem with building a Dyson Sphere around our sun is that, you know, as stars, as stars go, we're, we have a very – it's going to be a very short-lived period, you know. We're going to be, you know, a couple billion years to can expand and sort of dissolve, you know, where we are. So it is KICs and F type. So it's a it's a main sequence star. Um, uh, about one to four times that one to one point four times the mass of the sun. So it's not a white dwarf. So it's a pretty sizable star. I mean, comparatively, not a big one. I mean, it, it's more like a yellow dwarf. So anyhow, point is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if we're like, if we're, you would build it because you're like, what's the advantage of it? And the advantage is tremendous amounts of energy. And in the only applications where I think where you start wanting to get that much amount of energy is extreme amounts of computation, which means, you know, Borg planet. Yeah, I guess, I guess my thinking would be even if we were able to deduce the main swaths, uh, there's a difference between being the guys who invent that technology and the civilization that just, you know, looks at it like, oh, I get it. Uh, like, if you're capable of inventing it, then, you know, by all means, go ahead because, you know, you're obviously super advanced. But if you're the guys cheating on someone else's notebook, maybe you don't want to do it in a way that announces to the whole galaxy, look at us, we're the type of civilization that knows how to make a Dyson sphere. But maybe not through our own efforts and, and Everything power. is through the Brian lens. It is amazing. <laughs> so how will they judge me? How will they judge me? <laughs> uh, well, no, but, but we need to save our civilization. Yeah, but if I use their their method to save wait, our civilization, keep in mind I'm in the same clubhouse. First, should I call first or not? I'm keep in I, mind I'm in the same clubhouse as, as Stephen Hawking, who says he hopes that we never encounter any kind of aliens because if we do, there's only one result, and it's going to be that they're going to destroy us. And uh, so it's like, uh, like I don't know, like to me, to me, it's a not in some, uh, inconsequential decision to 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 view the tax tactics of, of something like that. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know that I automatically agree with that assessment. Although, I mean, I have my, my friends who do project or with like, you know, who were ones behind project Starshot. One of the projects they had was to send like a chip with our DNA to another star system. And I'm like, I'm not for this idea. I'm, I'm not going to support this Kickstarter. Um, it, that's not a good thing to me, but I, you know, we we still when we imagine these alien contact civilizations, many of them. I'm not saying for you. I'm not saying I don't know what's in your head, and I don't know what's in Stephen Hawking's head. But often people describe them, and it's like, you know, people who are just slightly more advanced than us, and it's it's us. You know, it's Europeans meeting the Indians. It's always that, and it's like, I'm kind of like, I think it's it's more like, you know, it it could be. Because we we never imagine them being more ethical than us. You know, we always imagine that that our on us on our best behavior, they're going to be no better than that, right? And and we think of the examples. What's it going to be like? Well, you know, what it'll be like us when the Europeans when there's a rapid you know expansion stage. Maybe I mean that that maybe or if they're that, it'll be way worse. It'll just be Borg and it'll they'll annihilate us, or they're going to be a heck of a lot more enlightened than we are. 
and they're already there and they already know we're here and like, yeah, you guys do your thing. So here's the good news is that if they are that enlightened, they'll realize that it's much more efficient. Like they'll, they'll have invented Sid Meier's civilization by then and they'll realize how costly actually destroying a society and building it up is. And instead they'll get a cultural victory by just like they'll send us better reality shows than we ever thought possible. And we're like, let us join your collective. Ooh, but I, you know, I keep thinking because you try to look at examples of like we're on our best behavior when we when we're going through periods of abundance. When we have periods of abundance, then we're we're less likely to go take things from other people because we don't have to. You know, you look at the the periods of colonialism and expansion and whatnot. You were going through periods where you might have had extremely wealthy people in Europe, but you had a lot of poor people and a lot of us aspirational people who are willing to become conquistadors, etc. That's because there weren't opportunities for them. If you were the son of a rich family but you had no money, I'm going to go to America and enslave some people and you know build a fortune. That was a business plan. That was the startup, you know, for a couple hundred years. It was to do that. Imagine taking that one to ye old shark tank. (laughs) Mark Cuban would be all for it. Um, So uh, my If I gave you 300 doubloons right now, would I, could I buy 10% of your slave trading lot? (laughs) (laughs) So my, uh, I guess I, I just got sidetracked there. You know, we, we, uh, imagine so periods of abundance were that so what but right now we're in sort of this relative we're comparatively in a period of abundance and there are tribes there are still uncontacted tribes or minimally contacted tribes in certain places and some islands in indonesia and places in south america and stuff and the governments there even those governments say hey these from lesser developed countries like yeah no we want to protect them we'll, we'll try to do our best to protect them when things get tough here or whatever we do intrude and we do that but and our best behavior, our best version of ourself is we want to protect them, which is a very new idea. You know, we weren't worrying that about that 200 years ago. Nobody was saying, how do we protect these people other than missionaries and stuff? So in our best version of ourselves, we're trying to protect these uncontacted people, which I imagine a highly advanced civilization could be the best version of ourselves, much better than we are now, would have that same mentality. I still wrestle with this right now. Are we acting ethically, though, right now when we have these little uncontacted tribes, these people that they throw spears at helicopters and we check to make sure they get wiped away by the typhoon, you know? Yeah, that's a really – that's an uncomfortable question because it forces us to really look at ourselves. Um, It it seems to me that regardless of whether – like on the one hand, yes, I understand that that these isolated tribes are of unfathomable um, uh, anthropological – data value, right? I mean, it's like there's so much to learn about uh, about uh, prehistory and that kind of stuff uh, in theory. Um, but on the other hand, uh, that makes them less than sovereign human individuals who have the right to decide that they want to participate in internet culture and get vaccines and so on. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, I think, I think, <sighs> I, I, I think the only ethical move is to extend to them all the uh, benefits uh, and rights that come with being a, a citizen of planet Earth. As a, but, as but, a but, but what is what is the limit to extension? Like if we if we're flying a helicopter by and we're like, we know that when we get off the helicopter, we want to tell them, hey, look, here's modern medicine and here's a a, a Teen Vogue, uh, uh, all of the best uh, that the world has to offer, and and you know, there a spear comes through your windshield. Uh, uh, did we do our best? Do we just like, all right, well, I guess it's an early lunch. Let's, let's powder back. 
Man, that's a tough question. And it also depends where they are, because if we found an isolated tribe of Native Americans, uh, you know, let's say up in a quiet pocket of the Appalachians or something, then um, uh, then I think America's uh, Americans would instantly think like, OK, do we bring them up to speed culturally? Like, do we bring them Lady Gaga and, and, and Internet connection? Whereas, obviously, if they're uh, in, we'll say, extremely poor, extremely isolated parts of Africa, then uh, then is the standard of living you know, the, the local tribes, the connected tribes. I, and these are, I, and these are not, I don't think they're easily answered questions. People keep bringing up the prime directive, you know, like in Star Trek, I'm like, I always thought that was an immoral policy. Yeah, I it was agree. such an immoral idea. Cause yeah. it's like, all right, Hey, my neighbor's beating his wife. That's it's their thing. It's their thing. I'm not going to call the cops and be like, well, yours legally. I'm not, I don't act out of things is what I think I'm legally responsible to do. I act out of what I'm morally responsible to do. Well then, but let's also like let's Although say I do like say, the idea of a Star Trek episode where somebody is you know like a witness to a domestic dispute and the answer is like, nope, the rules say I should stand regally on board and then sit in my chair. Ba-na-na, na-na-na. They just take knocks <laughs> like well, and, sail and I guess also there's uh, the, the part where the prime directive does make sense is uh, cultural practices that we don't understand from the outside might you know. Uh, like, for example, let's say uh, let's say the enlightened folks time traveled from Star Trek to modern day Earth and they're like, you still mutilate your genitals. What is this circumvention? We can't allow this to happen. You're cutting off pieces of, of people's genitals. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, that's one of those like, where does the line stop shifting, I guess, would be the question. Uh, agreed. Absolutely. 100 percent agreed. And I think that I, I think about these uncontacted tribes and thinking like. Okay, um, the women are forced into marriage at 12 years old. The infant mortality rate is ridiculously high. Average age they live to be is like 40 or something. And now, granted, you know, like then they say, oh, you know, when helicopters come by, they throw spears and stuff because they want like, yeah, they're afraid of them. They're terrified of them. And 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 I agree. I understand why they do that. But also, it's like we're 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 taking the actions of the most. You know, it's like yeah, when every time we send government government workers by these uh, cult compounds in Utah. They throw rocks at them and tell them to go away. <laughs> it's yeah. like, ah, everything's fine here. Nobody's being victimized. Everybody's cool. You know, all of the people here know what we're offering and have a full are making this choice, knowing fully cognizant of what the pros and cons are, which is not the so case. Is 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 the greatest cultural bargain on this Rumspringa? Like, I feel like that's that is like the greatest. Like, obviously, the the Amish have a a a, a restrictive society as to what they do and say, but there's the Rumspringa thing where they can. The kids go to New York and they all go to uh, foam parties and do crack and, you know, and then they decide whether or not they want to go back to Amish town or they want to stay out in society. Like that seems to be like a fairly efficient cultural bargain for both sides. And and that's that's uh, almost literally what happened with, uh, you know, with warring, uh, you know, all these different fiefdoms in in Europe. You know, you would you would take I mean, You see it in Game of Thrones. You grab someone else's kid, grow them up in your family, give them put them in the complicated position of understanding both sides of the story and, you know, let that help shape things going forward. I I don't. I mean, that was more of a thing of the noble born and not a thing where the average sort of person did. And and, and, and and I think what was cool about what the Amish do and sort of like what the Mormons do is that your average everyday person in those cultures, they're like, yes, we're going to send you out there in that world and we're going to let you make this choice. Rather than shielding you from this choice all along, we're going to we're going to put you out there into the world to make that choice. Um, 
you know, which then is a, you then at that's how it's one of the ways you reinforce the strength of it and you build ties. Of course, if you have a shrinking number of people in your culture, you stop doing that because you're like, well, we keep sending them away. So we can't do that anymore. But yeah, I love that. I think the answer is yes. That is the thing. So we should be working with these tribes to, to, to do Amazon Rumspringa. Like they, they we, we, we give them buses if they want that they can get up to Carnival. Well, I mean, the, the the problem, of course, is that when you take somebody from, let's say, an uncontacted tribe or whatever, and you have we have examples of people who are on these edge cases there, and they're going to be exploited. They're exploited for labor. They're exploited for sex. They're exploited for a lot of reasons. And so, we're not really good at integrating people in those civilizations. You know, the first generation ones, we're not so good at integrating them. So, I think that's part of the reason why we don't. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're bad. Uh, we should build a Dyson Spears. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we can sucker in some advanced uh, civilizations. Be like, yes, we're in the club. We're very smart. Oh, that's it. No, no, no. We just play possum. We're like, oh, we're so stupid. What? Where's the labor camps? And then we turn on them. But I, I just like the idea of like, you know, during World War II, you know. Japanese and German radio would broadcast their propaganda. We broadcast our propaganda. And then during the Cold War, we had Radio Free America. And, you know, and the beautiful thing about sort of propaganda is you can listen to it. You can be like, oh, yeah, no, uh, uh, this uh, Betty Berlin makes some very good points, you know, some very good points, you know. Um, and then your friends are like, you're being brainwashed. But then some of it you're like, oh, no, this is very effective. You know, BBC was a, was a very effective form of propaganda airing BBC around the world. Because it wasn't so much about like, hey, it's why we're awesome. It was more like, hey, here's news. Here's something useful. Here's something that's totally non-propaganda based or whatever. And you sort of could create a help one kind of still help reinforce sort of a world culture that way. Um, and there are obviously going to be subtle biases and stuff. But I, I like the idea of like, yeah, you know, if you want to like, uh, you know, we just we just park like a. A floating movie theater offshore of one of these islands, you know, and like you can come watch, you know, <laughs> we're going to give you free HBO for 30 days. Oh, dude, you just start playing Game of Thrones just on a barge. Like, <laughs> that's, 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 yeah, that might be the way to do it. I think that's that's that would be my way is like, hey, here's this information if you want it. We're not going to go to you. We're not going to force you to do anything like that. We're not going to knock on your door. But if you if you're, you you pick up the signal, just know it's it. there. Yeah. And then we just listen to their conversations and find out what in their language it means to say, wait, I thought they were brother and sister. <laughs> uh, well, I'll uh, tell you speaking what. Speaking of building Dyson spheres. We're not in any way propaganda. We just know that. A healthy family begins with a Weird Things Patreon family. Yes. yes. I, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln who said, uh, whatever you do, don't be caught dead without supporting Weird Things Patreon at patreon.com slash weird things. Uh, if you go to Weird Things Patreon, that is patreon.com slash weird things, you can pledge whatever you'd like to keep this show going. It happens every single week because of the people that kick in some cash to keep us going. Also, you get some benefits, right, Bryce? That's right. You get early access to uh, After Things, our sister show. Uh, you also get uh, email notifications when episodes come out. Uh, and uh, uh, you get a master feed, so you even get uh, those early episodes on, our, on an RSS feed. Right on. Master feed. 
Monster food. Uh, hey, we should also point out that uh, we're live, uh, mon- usually Mondays what? in the afternoon, uh, and you can tune in and hang out with the folks in the chat room at twitch.tv slash nightattack is where we broadcast That's that. That's 2.30 Eastern. So I shouldn't be throwing these middle fingers left and right on the video? Oh, <laughs> Great. Yeah, for audio listeners, and we're nude. Fun fact. <laughs> that's accurate. But that's fine, because uh, we're all super buff. So I want to, you know, a lot of this cosmic talk, alien civilizations, all that's pretty heady. So I just want to change the topic to something a little bit more, you know, down, down a to grounded. Earth. Yeah. Um, let's talk about dark matter. Oh, dear. Uh, that's not sensitive. I, I read... A really cool article uh, by Lisa Randall, and it's at Nautilus, Nautilus Magazine, which is Nautil and then .us. It's a really cool online science journal. They have like a print version too, I believe, but it's an excellent, excellent science magazine. They have a lot of really cool thought-provoking things. Lisa's a physicist. I've met Lisa. She's very cool, very smart, written a number of books on physics. Uh, one of her specialties is, is dark matter. And in this article – she makes a very interesting suggestion that I really hadn't heard put forth by a sober, intelligent individual before about dark matter. And that is that when we think about dark matter, we kind of sort of think about this sort of like idea that it's it's this particle, you know, that it's this sort of – it's just this, you know, single sort of like we're looking for this sort of particle we're trying to do. Um, but there is another notion and that is the idea that it could be like, we call, we call our matter, we call it baryonic matter because it's got protons and neutrons and stuff. Um, instead of like being like super exotic, but you could have dark matter could be, yes, sir. Uh, just real quick. I, I don't think we've talked about, and there may be people who are not familiar with what dark matter is. Dark, dark matter is, is the currently, you know, the, the X factor ascribed to the reasons that, um, that galaxies don't spin at the expected rate. Uh, they, they move much, much faster than you would expect for a spiral to do. Uh, and the only way to make it work is if you inject lots of matter that is not seen or mm-hmm. indicated on any telescopes. We don't know. We can't see it. We don't know it's there. But um, and which is why, because uh, the equations all work with our standard model of physics, as long as we just put more matter than we can actually see there. But but if I'm hearing you, if I'm following your your thread correctly, you say, well, what if we adjust the model? What if it's a force instead of uh, uh, matter? No, it's not at all what I'm saying. OK, um, uh, what 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 I'm saying is going the other direction is that we sort of have this idea of like, oh, maybe it's it's just this singular sort of particle, this dark matter particle that's out there. What, what uh, Dr. Randall suggests is, um, what if it's not just one particle? What if it's a bunch of there's an entire class of dark matter particles just like we have? Why do we assume it's one particle? Why do why do we assume that it couldn't have the same level of complexity that we have that you could have dark matter atoms, dark matter molecules, dark matter life? Wow. What? So that's what she's putting forth is like, hey, yeah, no, we're just assuming that these particles are going together. Like, no, what if it's like, what if it's just a different, entirely different category of matter that, you know, we weakly interact through gravity and we can't see anything else, but it could have its own. So, okay. So, um, uh, in in the elegant universe, Brian Greene, one of the things he talks about is the idea of, of one of the things that string theory posits is that there are different uh, membranes or brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, um, and that maybe ours was correct. Uh, our universe was created when two brains collided, and that release of energy created the universe. Um, Actual new data, we may have an impact point, too, where we think that could have happened, too. Oh, that's amazing. 
yeah. one of the parts that he brings up is that uh, consistent from brain to brain would be gravity. And he says the, the only way you could talk to someone on a different brain uh, would be to uh, send gravity pulses and eventually, you know, I don't know, like a record basically send pulses of gravity back and forth. Um, that would actually play if, if dark matter was in some I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm reducing this to a point that will make any physicist uh, vomit. So I apologize, physicist. But that that would kind of make sense if 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 the evidence for dark matter, i.e., the unusual movements of the spiral galaxies or of galaxies in general, uh, man, that's that's fantastic. The idea that that there's all that just on the other side of a gravity curtain, basically. Yeah. The the problem is we so weakly interact because on one hand you could think, man, you, we could have sort of like ghost clouds of planets that sort of follow our own planet or whatever, or we fought, but it's like, it's so weakly interacts trying to figure out like, what would be the likelihood of on even a solar scale, one body having an effect on another body. I don't know, but it is a fascinating idea to think that, you know, in, in theory, these things, we could pass right through the stuff, but if we pass through like, you know, a super dense version of that, you know, would we get earthquakes? What would happen? You know, black, are there dark matter black holes? You know, I mean, there's just these, it gets into this whole other way of thinking that you're like, man, like that's just spooky. Like right now there could be, we could be passing through another dark matter. You, you know what it reminds me of is, uh, as so many brilliant ideas, uh, it was written in a short story by Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke, because you turned me on to that collection of short stories where it talks about basically one being talking to another being about how he thinks that there might be life up there in the shadow ghost world where oh, where yeah. everything ends. And then, of course, what he's talking about is, you know, these are deep creatures that live and thrive and survive in the mantle of the earth and they swim around it and they're super dense and everything and that they're they're confused by what seems like noise up in the surface of the planet. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful I love I love that story. And there's neat stories about the idea of like life on a neutron star. So to your point, Brian, about the whole the in-brain idea, uh, which sort of relates to that is when the scientists did their sort of the mapping of the space, they found a region of space about 1.8 billion light years across that's colder than the surroundings. And they thought maybe it's a trick of light because it was colder and it had less than 10,000 galaxies. A new study has introduced a possibility the cold spot cannot be explained as a void. It is not due to the line of side effects. Instead, researchers at Durham University believe it could be the first evidence of the multiverse. They believe a parallel universe could have smashed into ours, affecting in a way similar to a multiple vehicle, similar to a multiple vehicle pileup. Oh. That impact was so incredible, according to this research, that it pushed energy out of a huge region of space, resulting in the CAPS cold spot. Perhaps the most exciting explanation is the cold spot was caused by a collision between our universe and another bubble universe, believe it or not, said Professor Tom Shanks at the University of Durham, uh, Durham, Durham, uh, Durham University. Welcome to slurring things. Um <laughs> I don't want to make anybody upset. I don't want to get too controversial here on weird things. I know we try to walk that line and be sort of, hey, a common ground for everybody. But I'm going to say it, guys, and I'm sorry. I apologize what the repercussions are going to be. The universe is kind of weird. Whoa. Man, you don't, you don't need to, to verse shame. The universe yeah. is going to be whatever it's going to be. Yeah. I'm just saying. You know, what's weird to you, man, is normal to somebody else. Yeah. We're, like the dark matter reality that lives under our nose. God, literally, you, none I mean, of the I other just, universes have to hear you say this. God, why, why does it have to be me? I mean, think about this. It's like just what's random news items grabbed today. And we went from, uh, 
hey, yeah, there may be an alien megastructure on the star because we don't know what the F it's doing, to, oh, here's a really cool article about dark matter. Like, yeah, we may we may be like duplexing with an entirely or one or more other entirely different dimensions next to us. We weakly interact with gravity. And we may actually be able to contact now that we're building gravity wave detectors. Oh, and yeah, apparently we had a drive-by with another universe and we can actually see the damage. And apparently that's a thing that can happen, by the way, is that you can bump into other universes and all of a sudden there's an impact zone. It's pretty amazing. Sleep tight, kids. (laughs) You know, there's only one solution to this. What's that? Drugs. Go oh, on. all right, sure. Let's do it. Let's all I mean, do drugs together. <laughs> By drugs, I mean Journey Quest drugs. Oh. <laughs> oh! Well, uh, let's find out what happened last week. What happened Previously last week? On Journey Quest! I grab the knife oh. and then start stabbing my throat. Your friend's going to die. Unless, unless we, we have a version that lets you travel forward in time. No, for my friend Brian, <laughs> let's go to the unstable future where he's probably going to die anyway. So, uh, last week, you're such a chode, Brian. Jesus, why'd you stab your neck? Until I, you- I killed Lennon. I killed both Lennons. All the Lennons are dead in this reality. Yeah, and also all the Bryans. Yeah, well, you did yeah. kill your actual real self, though. Hey, man, look, I mean, you know, some people, they're big talk about sacrificing themselves for the greater good. Only one guy's got the muscle and the gumption to make it happen. Also a knife. So thunderously stupid. <laughs> I should not be going on this side quest to save him. So the, the side quest is that Justin has to travel forward in the future. Yeah. Right? To get the technology to try to heal Brian. Is my uh, what kind of condition am I in? Am I am I awake or am I with him? Am I is my ghost with him? No, you are. Did they you download are my consciousness condition. to condition? If you were in a hospital, you'd be in critical condition, bleeding out. The hope is that I can literally go on this side quest and then come back in seconds. But there's not like, like a bird. So I can heal you. There's not like a bird companion that they've they've put my personality into to keep him company on this journey. Like within five seconds, see his shadow in the mirror and then run into a wall at 90 (laughs) miles an hour and break his bird neck. Uh, (laughs) Immediately find the doctor. Oh, here's here's the technology that'll heal your friend. Bird companion dive bombs to peck the doctor's (laughs) eyes out and then jumps into his mouth and dares him to chew. (laughs) All right, look, if they can put my personality in a bird, they can take out my flaws, too. So maybe I won't be so scared. All right. (laughs) So, uh, Uh, no, I I think uh, I I am guided by my love for Brian, which will be voiced by Brian as as I go on this (laughs) side. So, uh, Justin flash forwards, we think, into the future. He's in some high-tech, futuristic office environment. And there's somebody sitting at the desk who's about to dramatically reveal and turn around. And, and I'm going to ask you a question first. Who do you think is sitting at that desk? Brian, first, is just in, in – I'll let you – Yeah, well, can, I don't know. What would Brian who, – who would Brian think is behind that desk? Well, hold, hold on. Has he already teleported into the future? I'm in the future, and I'm sitting at a desk for, uh, across the desk from a doctor who has his back – or her back to me. 
and uh, uh, I hope that they're going to be able to give me the tech. I but mean, who do you I, think it's, it is, It's going to be the architect from Matrix 2 Reloaded. Mm, interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, uh, the guy who played Dumbledore. <laughs> Which Michael one? <laughs> um, the answer is... No, knowing See, knowing this reality, it's either Andrew or me or or somebody else that we know. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, you you see over the top of the chair, you see some white cottony hair, and the chair dramatically spins around. It's Morgan Freeman, <laughs> who voiced Morgan by Brian, Freeman. but who's Morgan Freeman and not Brian. He's not going to start stabbing himself in the neck. Oh, hello, Justin. I'm so glad to see you. I'm Morgan Freeman. Oh, my God, Morgan. Wait, it, it's literally like it's not you're you're, you're actually well, I'm Morgan gonna, Freeman? I'm gonna, Morgan, Morgan's getting a text message right now. Hold on. I'm getting a text um, message right now. Me, uh, Morgan Freeman. Man, I got so many questions up to and including. If uh, they're about my days on the electric company, those are a dark past and we will not be discussing them. And then he taps his nose. Too much cocaine. I'm Morgan <laughs> Freeman. So he doesn't even he, like no subtlety for Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> no, indeed not. I'm glad. Uh, by the way, have they offered you any pineapple juice? There's some pineapple juice. Uh, take a look behind you. Do you see it over there? Uh, I think to myself, what would Brian think about drinking that pineapple juice? Uh, the, uh, <laughs> oh, Brian, Brian, Brian's just like, uh, uh, uh Morgan Freeman says, uh, 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 quit thinking of that dead spirit. That's just a figment of your own imagination. Your Wait actual Brian you're... is dying right now and you're wasting and, and time. Freeman checks his text messages. Mm, yep. Uh, oh, indeed. Uh, uh, Justin, here's the question. I've waited yeah. a long time for you to arrive here trying to save your loved ones. Your friendship with Brian is something known throughout all time and space in all realities. We're very fascinated by your journey, your quest. We have a word for it, but you wouldn't understand. But the important what? thing is what are you willing to do to, to bring your companion, Brian, back to life? Also, for the record, since I'm Morgan Freeman, I can make him slightly less dumb in the future. <sighs> this is going to turn into something weird or gross. <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just Morgan Freeman. I here didn't have any in my construct <laughs> holding in front of you the opportunity to bring back to life your friend Brian Brushwood. All right, let me just recap. So <laughs> our friendship is famous Throughout time and space. Very famous. We're big fans here everywhere. <laughs> here uh, and everywhere. <laughs> you said you had a name to... to uh, uh, no, some uh, people call it the journey. Some call it the quest. There's a splinter faction that I'm a fan of. You know, we have another uh, okay. mashup. Um, what am I willing to do to save my, my buddy Brian's life? Now, I understand, I Justin. I... I understand that some people might have a difficult point isolating exactly where that line is, so let's start with something easy. Here's a bug, and he opens his hand, and then it's a little cockroach. And he goes, will you eat this bug? Okay, more, number one, Check I need to go ahead. Be 
uh, before we get into this bug eating, I'm going to eat the bug. All right. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to eat the bug. Okay. What's the tech that saves Brian's life? Uh, uh, well, that was a candy bug. <laughs> That's not actually the thing. And he, tur- he turns back around and, and you see some fidgeting about, right? And then when he comes back, he says, it's not racist that I'm reenacting this scene from Morpheus. And then he holds out his hands. <laughs> he goes, because I'm Morgan Freeman. And then in each hand is a red pill and a blue pill. And he says, one of these will bring your friend back to life. The other one, I rubbed on my genitals. <laughs> Please make your choice now. I want to uh, outright apologize to Brian Brushwood <laughs> that I ever doubted his uh, first instinct to murder any authority figure he came across because this is it un- insufferable. Like, this is horrifying. Yeah, Why is- are you here, Morgan Freeman? What year is this? Uh, it's all times and always. Cheers is still on the air. Anything is possible. <laughs> and you won't tell me which one saves Brian and which one you rubbed on your balls? Oh, save that. Do you want to phone a friend? You have three lifelines. I grab both of the pills and I and I swallow them. I say, <laughs> oh, and, and then Morgan Freeman says, oh, uh, how fortuitous that you had both as both were rubbed on my genitals. <laughs> Somebody call that in the chat room. Also, <laughs> fighter Morgan Freeman. Also, both would have saved Brian, but you took them both. So a negative times a negative equals a positive, and he's dead again. So let's let's. Can, can you draw a picture of a windmill? <sighs> okay. What weird Monty Python version of saving my friend is this? Like, like who like, do you, are you the guardian of some kind of tech? I doubt that either of those pills were saving anybody. You literally just wanted to have somebody that you were uh, in charge of or had a superiority on eat something that was in your nether regions. Um, I'll draw whatever you want. I'll eat whatever weird ball pills you want to hand to me. I just need to know what's the solution that brings my friend back to life. The solution is you must say, bring my friend back to life and also give him awesome superpowers because I really want that for him. (laughs) That's the only price. (laughs) Brian, is this you? No, it's me, Morgan Freeman. Uh, We've isolated the one most challenging, morally bankrupt decision to make and in order to bring your friend back. And the viewers are enjoying this immensely. (laughs) So this isn't Brian in some weird alternate dimension. Oh, no. Uh, but you know, some people no, don't think if you're if, if I if I ask you if you're a cop, you got to tell me if you're a cop. Right? <laughs> Look, some people don't think I'm actually Morgan Freeman because I don't mention it enough. That's a good point. I'm Morgan Freeman. <laughs> now, will you speak to me, Morgan Freeman, <laughs> that phrase to bring your friend back to life? I want Brian Brasher to be brought back to life, and I personally believe he not only should, but deserves to have superpowers that I will never have, that he can use, that are free from any influence of any third or any uh, uh, despots or dictators, unless, of course, Brian prefers to have Hitler in his ear at all times. In that case, he is more than welcome. All right. He says, 
Now it is time. Let the transformation begin. And he slaps his hands together and murmurs under his breath, I'm Morgan Freeman. And he, he claps his hands and he rubs them together faster and faster until finally it becomes blinding white light that, that is thrown all over the room. And when, as, as the, the brightness fades, um, you see Morgan Freeman grab his hair and just start pulling it straight up, and off, off pops the mask, revealing Brian from some other reality. I grab a knife, and I lunge at Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, uh, uh, I, 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 say <laughs> I say, oh, Justin, you don't know what you're doing. The purpose of this universe is to be the greatest actor ever. Come on, admit it. You thought I was Morgan Freeman, right? Yes, up to and including the point where I asked if it was you specifically. <laughs> I indeed always believed you were Morgan Freeman. See, all, <laughs> all right. Look, we got this all worked out. Uh, I'm glad that you, you you brought me back, even though you didn't really but, need but, it. But wait. But wait. Uh-oh. You don't get it, Justin. You got it all wrong. <gasps> Read the text again, Brian. Oh. Uh. Oh, wait. Sorry. I'm so confused. Look, I, I just... You were convinced. deep into the role. You were deep into the role. That's how de deep you were. I was deep in the role. Uh, the purpose of this universe is to be the best actor ever, which is why I successfully fooled you that I'm Brian. And then he pulls off the Brian face, and it's Morgan Freeman. He says, I have always portrayed Brian through all your friendship in all of time and space. Now that's it has always been me, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I don't know if that's the transitive property, but that's a very impressive <laughs> showing for Mr. Freeman. <laughs> So what this means now is Brian is dead and Justin's new companion may be Morgan Freeman because the lights are starting to flicker. And he looks and he says, ah, the server bandwidth is getting out of control. The simulation's coming to an end. Oh, no, it's happening. Uh, look, we must go quickly. And Morgan Freeman um, uh, casts a magical spell and a portal opens to the side. And I said, no time to talk. We must go. I'm Morgan Freeman. I run after Morgan Freeman uh, uh, before very briefly looking longingly at the knife that I had lunged at, at Brian's neck with and uh, <laughs> contemplating stabbing it into my own. You, 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 you enter the portal and you step into a Del Taco, but a rundown Del Taco, very, very run broken windows. And you look out there and there's a post-apocalyptic landscape and you see a little boy standing out there as the wind blows the sand by and you see through the storm a boy waving at you. And then he makes a sign with his hand that looks like a curse. And you remember back the people you let die in the bus. Mm. Wait, is the hand sign does it look like this? Two fingers? Uh, no, it's the it, opposite. It's the cursed version. Oh, the cursed, uh, the, the singularity. Oh, ooh. Yeah. Uh, you realize crew. some of the first victims that, you're, that this is somehow you've been stepped into this. Totally not the Dark Tower type scenario now. Totally not the Dark Tower. Yeah. I uh, prefer to call it the Black Canyon. <laughs> Black Canyon. Uh, listen, Justin. Uh me, Morgan Freeman, here by your side as always. Can you just do the Brian voice? Uh, oh, sure, sure. No, we could do that. Uh, hey, listen. Um, I mean, I think we should seek out 
I've, I've had a vision. It was like a whisper in my ear about the Dark Canyon, which I assume is a non-copyright infringing uh, nexus through which all realities converge. Actually, actually yeah, it, 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 it's the Black Canyon. Black Canyon, Black Canyon. Black Canyon, Black Canyon. Yeah, Black thank Canyon. you, thank you. Uh, uh, good call. Uh, hey, um, I'm seeing a lot of weird stuff, and already I'm, I'm kind of. Did Did I tell you I was Morgan Freeman? Man, it's like I can barely remember that now. Like, mm, but you do have vivid memories of hot, steamy sex with Jessica Sandy, and you're just not going to tell Jessica Tandy. You're not going to tell him about that though. <laughs> Jessica Sandy and Jessica, Jessica Tandy. Tandy. <laughs> <laughs> it was trice foldishly. Um, it was a tandy, tandy treat. <laughs> so, uh, look, I, I, I mean, I, last time I checked, they didn't install Taco Bells in the desert with uh, kids cursing us from our previous adventures. I'm going to say kind of all bets are off, and we're in a mysterious sideways extra, extra earth uh, dimension here. Uh, uh, sure, man. You're the one who's from this extra crazy world, and you're Morgan Freeman, and apparently I've always been best friends with Morgan Freeman, and now we're like, I can't go back to save who I thought was my dying friend, uh, or can I still? Man, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember any of this. We were, we walked over that ridge, and we saw this Taco Bell, and then that kid cursed us. Del Taco. Del, Ta- Del Taco. See, I even I misremember. I, 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 look, let's just keep walking. Let's keep walking west. Let's go. Wait a minute. Now it's hey. hard to see because there's a windstorm, a sandstorm going on. Oh, we better and get in this, this Del Taco. Very thunderous, loud sounds. Doom, doom, doom behind you. And you turn uh, around. Behind me. What do I see? You, you put your hands to your eyes to shield it from the grape flying into them. You see a dark shape. And next time on Journey Quest. Oh! <laughs> My God. Seems perfectly legit to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many episodes into Journey Quest are we? Not enough. I think, we're, I think we just got past the prologue. I think we, yeah. we're really starting to dive down into the meat of it. Yeah. Uh, listen, gentlemen, it's time to do picks. Anybody got any picks? Anybody know how to pick anything? Uh, Yeah, dude. I just finished the book Nudge, which was featured on uh, Freakonomics. That's where I've said they've had those guys on, or one of the guys, uh, two or three times. But Nudge was really, really good. I think it belongs in the pantheon of great brain science uh, economics uh, literature out there, along with Thinking Fast and Slow and uh, 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 Influenced by Robert Cialdini. Uh, I'll put Nudge right up there. It's really, really good. Excellent. Excellent. Justin, uh, uh, I'm I'm looking for something. You go ahead and uh, you go ahead and go if you got one. Um, my pick. All right, just push it onto me. While well, I was going to use that time to push <laughs> it back towards. Don't worry, I'm back. It's me, Morgan Freeman. You guys take <laughs> as long as you need. I uh, can fill... My my pick is the uh, the new mystery science theater on Netflix. I would say the first few episodes were. Finding themselves kind of thing, I think, because I think it's like, you know, you come back in and that was a show that, you know, once that writing got to really on point, what all the characters were supposed to be, it really became, you know, great. And, you know, the new guy, uh, he's fine. You know, you got Felicia Day and Pat Oswald on it and a lot of great cameos in there. And so once it finds it took a few episodes, I think, for the jokes to really start kind of landing for me. But once they did, they really, really got to be very good. Yeah. Felicia Day, Pat Oswald and Jonah Ray. Uh, Joel Hodgson, you know, pops up in there periodically. And so, you know, and it's one of those shows that like, 
I didn't watch as much during the Mike years, and I thought he was Mike Nelson was was very funny. And then I never even saw like the whole other storyline of where that went and whatnot. But you know, I've been watching after I finished watching the Netflix version. I went back and watched some of the old episodes and some of that, and there was just such great stuff in there. So many great just yeah. And sometimes it might be just four or five jokes in the total of the hour and a half that really land for you, but that's that's still great. Yeah, uh, Open Bayou gives the advice that I, 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 I don't know that you have to follow, but uh, I understand the logic. He says to tell people to start on episode two, the Bigfoot movie, which uh, to me was the first time that I realized like, oh, wait, that's part of the brilliance of this is these aren't just garbage movies. They're just good enough that you might watch them as a joke uh, because they're so insane. And then with, with the extra sauce of all their improv on there, it's it's fantastic. I I say watch it start just start from the beginning knowing because otherwise it's it's because the beginning gives you some intros and you get some sort of but I've talked to people like oh yeah I was kind of I, I started I'm like yeah like I think the first few episodes just weren't as solid as the other ones and I think that some people may have been giving up on there but I'm like just you know watch it and while you have something else going on and then when it finds itself I think they do a really good job and I hope they continue on my opinion yeah uh, my pick is. Shattered inside Hillary Clinton's doomed campaign by uh, Jonathan Allen and Amy Parnes, narrated by Kimberly Farr. I, that's how I listen to it on Audible. This is the behind the scenes look at Hillary Clinton's campaign, uh, the most recent one uh, from the very nascent beginnings uh, while she was still in the state house uh, to her, uh, you know, election day and a little bit uh, past that. I did a book review for it on the Politics, Politics, Politics feed last week, so you can go ahead and get my extended thoughts. But if you are into that kind of tell-all, uh, everybody, especially on losing campaigns, when everybody snipes at everybody else and talks about how it definitely wasn't their fault through anonymous sourcing, uh, it is great. And it's got a lot of those little tidbitty kind of tidbit things, which I, I love in these books, including... The reason why Hillary Clinton initially thought she needed to set up a private email server that dogged her throughout the rest of the campaign, the, the reasoning for it, you could not write better foreshadowing if you were, like, scripting it out. It's amazing. Wow. Uh, dude, no, I'm in. I'm in. Is it a fast read? How long is it? It's like 10 hours. Uh, oh, yeah. No, in. Going to buy that right now. Awesome. Gentlemen, it's been weird. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. 